Welcome back, everybody, to the new sports order. We missed you guys last week. The Pearl was traveling again and hitting the rounds and golfing with Kevin Millar. Just just living the non-parent dream. As one does. Someone has to live this life, and uh, I've become accustomed to such. So, yeah, on the road again, but now we're we're hunkering down. We're just in time for the dog days. And that was the other part of it. Looking at the calendar, I'm like, yeah, maybe we could either, you know, try to move, not say heaven and earth, but we'd, we would have had to move some earth to make last week happen. And in the end, I'm like, wait, and what are we going to talk about? The one player everyone's talking about at the NBA draft, who everyone knows where he's going. And the smart move hadn't happened yet. So I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what this w- would even been. Plus, we, yeah, we would have looked bad because we probably would have recorded talking about a big Celtics trade, which was at that point Malcolm Brogdon. We would have released it at 6 a.m. and at like 5.30 it dropped that it was Marcus Smart instead. So I, I think we I think we dodged one, honestly. Yeah. You know, like you said, dog days of summer. Free up a little time for a here and there mini vacay. Like I said, not a lot going on, but I was I was checking out the highlights this morning, and I'm like, oh, I gotta ask Pearl about this. All right. So Shohei Otani, ten strikeouts to go with his two homers he had, and in my mind, the first thing I thought was, if you're an Angels fan and you lose Otani. Like, what's the point? What's the point? You've wasted pretty much the entire prime of Mike Trout, which you could argue if he's still in prime or not. Now you have pretty much the best generational player since Mike Trout. (laughs) Probably. And everyone assumes that, He's leaving at the end of the year. Well, it, it is one the blueprint for the other. Uh, we don't really know. I mean, I, I know Otani wants to be on a winner. I mean, who doesn't? It just think of what his profile would be if he was doing this. I wouldn't say anywhere else. But, I mean, just think of him someplace else. If Shohei Otani was doing this in Boston – there wouldn't be enough airwaves or social media space to corral all the Babe Ruth comparisons. Like that would be running so rampant, especially at this stage of his career where he's establishing himself as a hitter and a pitcher, the same place that Babe Ruth did it. The I, I would not want the Otani's going to be a Yankee next year jokes because I'm sure we'd be getting plenty of those that we were going to sell him, you know, for $125,000, which you could probably convince me the Red Sox ownership might in fact do right now. Be like, no, <laughs> Looking no, at no, the last no, few no. years. Yeah, it's, it's fine. We don't need to, we don't need to pay for this generational talent. It's the same thing we did in 1919. Um, he, he's incredible. He, he's like nothing we've seen. You know, it seemed like last year it sort of started where people were making that like, Oh my God, he, he's incredible. Look, he's pitching and he's hitting, but and I thought it was, let's say premature because he had done it, but he had never really consistently put up the offensive numbers and the pitching numbers. It still felt like in a way somewhat, it was a novelty yeah. for like lack of a better term. He was a good pitcher, but he wasn't an outstanding pitcher. He wasn't, right. you know, an all-star just on his own as a pitcher. The combination, yes, incredibly valuable. Like and jack of all last- trades, master of none. Exactly, because no one was saying he was the best hitter in baseball you know, really before last season. No one was saying he was the best pitcher in baseball before last season. Then, you know, 2022 happened, and you know, he starts the All-Star game as a pitcher. I think he led off as a hitter or hit number two. And now, I mean, he, he would legitimately make the All-Star team at either position. If he stopped one of them completely, he, he would be an All-Star at, at whatever position he wanted to be, to, to go under. And now you're looking, I mean, you can make the argument, and it should have been last year. I mean, Judge wins MVP. That's one that even with the 62 home runs, 
I think we're going to look back at the MVP last year and go, yeah, Judge at 62, but uh, Otani's Ruth. Yeah. It's one of those where it's almost not even fair. Because yeah. you cannot compare to someone doing it on both sides. That's the only one. And, and I know that there were more you know, players who hit and, and there have been you know, good hitting pitchers throughout history. The other part of it, what makes it even more miraculous over the span in which he's done it and especially this emergence of him becoming you know, a transcendent talent over you know, being a very good talent or being an all-star talent, now he's becoming this MVP Cy Young, which, by the way, I would love for him to win the MVP and the Cy Young. Just to watch how like baseball writers, the like commercially ones, they're like, a pitcher can't win the MVP. A pitcher shouldn't win the MVP. They have their own award. They shouldn't win both. And then Otani wins the MVP essentially for his offense, and he wins the Cy Young for his pitching ability. Like, yeah. how, how would they like wrap their brains around that one? Was it Verlander, the last pitcher to win the MVP? Verlander did it. Uh, Dennis Eckersley did it. Uh, Clemens did it. Pedro should have done it in 99. You will never, never convince me that Pudge Rodriguez deserved the 99 MVP over Pedro Martinez. That is one that I think has aged horrifically. But I digress. It doesn't happen a lot. It, it's once in a blue moon. But yeah, Verlander, I, believe, yeah, I don't think anyone's done it since him. And that was like, what, 2012? It's, it's been a little bit, but... But there's always that argument, well, pitchers shouldn't win the MVP. Well, you know what? Sometimes they probably should. I always like to remind them. In 92, Dennis Eckersley won it as a freaking closer. Man. And I was trying to think of, and I probably should have gave you a heads up that I was thinking about this today, but I was trying to think of, in any kind of the major sports, the biggest stars to change teams in their absolute prime or peak as like an MVP. And like, I thought of Shaq leaving Orlando to go yep, to the Lakers. And even then he wasn't quite at his peak yet, but was still an absolute phenomenon. Well, I think, point. but even getting a guy before that, you, like you're not supposed to get, cause Shaq was already, what a top five talent, a top four yeah. talent. I mean, he was, and this is the age of Jordan. I mean, you had Jordan, Elijah, Juan, Shaq was probably yeah. the third best player in the NBA from 92 to whatever he went, 97. He was already at, at, at that upper echelon. So to, to think that, yes, his best days were going to be the next five years, which they were in LA, you're not supposed to get guys, unless you draft them, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to get guys at that point in their career. Exactly. And that's, that's why I was and trying that's to make your point. I could not think of a lot of names who, like at peak where Otani is right now, who teams have had been able to let leave. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Shaq, Shaq is a great example of that. Um, I think it would happen more in the NBA, um, you know, in the last – you know, say 20 years. I mean, Durant has moved teams enough. It's tough to say what is, you know, LeBron's first trip to Miami would be there. Sure. I mean, even him leaving Miami, I mean, you could argue that his four years in Miami was kind of his peak. And then he goes to Cleveland again, you know, so you could say he's really done it twice. Um, If you're to take it outside of the NBA, you're right. I mean, it is, isn't something that we see like football almost never. And part of that is because well, they have the franchise tags. Well, and you get guys, you get condensed careers. I mean, a long career in the NFL is 10 years, and you're kind of behoven to your the team that drafts you for five. And, you know, we do see extensions of, you know, you have kind of a transcendent talent. But, okay, I'll throw this one out there. A name that I just mentioned, Pedro Martinez. Yep. You know, Pedro was, I mean, coming up on 30. He had just won his first Cy Young Award in Montreal, and the Red Sox trade for him, bring him to Boston. And then we see, you know, 98, 99, 2000. I mean, arguably the three greatest years a pitcher's ever had in baseball, and the Red Sox then got that. And, and that was his third team. I mean, he originally came up with the Dodgers as a relief pitcher. but And I feel like, and, you know, some can say uh, it's Tom being a homer, but I feel like Pedro was the last guy for baseball, maybe steroid Barry Bonds, who 
became the attraction in terms of if he was coming to a city, it was a scramble to get tickets and you were telling your friends, oh my God, I got tickets for Otani tomorrow. Right. Like I feel like Pedro, Boy. especially in like 99, like if he was pitching, it was the ticket to get. I think Bonds, when he was going bananas and his head was slightly large. <laughs> no, that that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, you you would say you know, if you want to kind of work backwards and you look at the the stars of like the last twenty years, maybe you know, Judge, maybe. just because he's so big, I think. But I think Judge was kind of uh, not to say that he isn't or won't be, but yeah, I mean, Judge would have been last year, you know, in in twenty twenty two, and he was kind of going for the record and putting up prodigious numbers. Would it, was he, you know, three years before that, you know, you could argue, I think guys have had moments and I think that'll be the interesting part of, uh, Otani's legacy is, you know, how long does this last? We, we saw at the very beginning when they shut him down as a pitcher, he was just a hitter. He hit pretty well. Uh, you know, another year where he hit pretty well, pitched all right. It was kind of him learning Americanized baseball and now it's really come together. So it will be something to see. You know, how long does this last? Because, you know, you bring up Judge. You know, I don't know if it, Mike Trout is really the, you know, anonymous superstar because he's one that he will be the player that this era that we were kind of dancing around where we talk about Pedro and then this lull and then, you know, the Mike, what I would call like the Trout Harper era where Harper is almost like the more visible right. star. Won a World Series. It, in the playoffs, and Mike Trout has still never been in the playoffs. Right, has, has never won a playoff game, and no, nah, Harper wasn't even there. Harper had, had left Washington, didn't win one. He played in one, played in one in Philadelphia. Hmm. I thought he was still in Washington when they won. No, nah, I'm pretty sure that was just Soto. Anywho, we'll look it up as we're going. But but it is uh, a challenge of who who sells tickets like that and and yeah when Pedro started I mean that was the hottest ticket even in Boston which was his home city if Pedro was pitching right Fenway Park was sold out like there was no question about that I'm trying to think of other like you know kind of marquee guys like that and, and Bonds would certainly be one and we look at that through a different lens being in an AL city where. You know, when Bonds came here, like I would look at the schedule and go, "Ooh, maybe we should go see Barry Bonds." Like, ah, San Francisco is here, but it's in you know late September. It's it's during a bad time of the year. I think people are doing that now. A couple years ago, a friend for his uh, like bachelor party weekend wanted to go to a weekend series at Fenway, and I was kind of half in charge of the planning, and I picked the Angels, and this would have been twenty nineteen. And I was like, we should go see the Angels. Three reasons. And Otani was literally probably the lowest on the, on the list. Was one to see Mike Trout. Two was to see Albert Pujols. Three was to see Otani. And now I look and I go, that was pretty cool that you know we saw Otani, Pujols, and Trout in the same lineup. I think we're gonna look back on that in like 25 years and go, those three played together. I mean, that's Trout and Pujols already have plaques in Canton. I'm pretty sure they just haven't put them out yet. And Otani keeping this up certainly will follow. Yeah. And it'll be interesting, you know, I think baseball is, it seems a little more talked about this season, you know, obviously with the rule changes and the pitch clocks and games are a little shorter and a little bit more exciting, but the question as it has always been is, can they make stars, you know? Long gone are the days of, you know, everyone knew the backwards hat and Ken Griffey Jr. And you mentioned like a Pudge Rodriguez. And obviously those are big names because they were in our childhood. But I feel like objectively they were big names and baseball was still really hot then. Well, you had... One, you know, like, because you can go by the nicknames just of that era. You had Ken Griffey Jr., you had the big hurt. Frank Thomas was one of the, you know, the big unit, Randy Johnson. You had Chipper Jones. You had, 
you know, the Rockies were new and you know, it, it is funny. And we do remember that because it was our childhood, but you know, I never thought of 95 as being like this tumultuous baseball season. It's just like, no, like that was a great time. You know, like Mark McGuire was still in Oakland and Jose Canseco was in Boston and Mo Vaughn was the MVP and Albert Bell and you know, Cleveland and Seattle. And some of these teams were you know, really good, but you look at baseball history and like, wow, well, they're coming off the strike in 94 and people hated baseball and attendance was down and, uh, but you're right. It did seem like, I mean, th- think about this. I, I often recall this very fondly would be coming home from school, you know, 96, 97, 98, coming home from school and there would be playoff baseball games on NBC. Like think about that and, and what that meant when there was way less channels, either you had a satellite dish or you probably had like 37 channels on your local cable and the networks were it. I mean, you watch network TV most nights. You had your shows. They were on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Major League Baseball playoffs. The first round, you would have on NBC for like nights in a row. I mean, they're preempting Seinfeld and ER to show Baltimore and Cleveland. Oh, boy, what's Roberto Alomar going to do? Like, can you imagine that now if NBC was like, oh, yeah, we're not going to show The Voice for two months. Because we're going to show Toronto and the Angels. It was like... I'd love it. It was like it be, when you were a kid and Raw got like preempted by the Westminster <laughs> Dog Show. <laughs> or what was the other one? The U.S. The Tennis Open. That was, yeah. the, that was like the two things that bumped Monday Night Raw was the Dog Show and the Tennis. But yeah, that was... Like the, that was a golden era. And baseball needs to take advantage of they should be absolutely pumping Shohei Otani. He should be everywhere. He's the best chance for an international superstar, obviously. If you can't make a star out of Shohei Otani, like fold up the tents. Like yeah. pee on the fire and call the dogs. Because if you can't make a star out of Otani, who not only is he outstanding, like guy's got a personality, you know, like every there there's gifts of him every time he plays of something that he's done outside of just hitting home runs and striking out batters and throwing a hundred and hitting 450 foot bombs. And, you know, his, his mannerisms on the field, you know, some of the signals he makes, I mean, just all the things he does, like the guy's got charisma. Like, yeah. Like why aren't 25 we years ago? Why aren't we seeing like, some kind of like buddy cop commercial with him and Mike Trout, yes. like we would have saw yes. with Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. You, you know what it uh, it should be? I mean, there should be, like Nike needs to be behind him. Like, I don't know who he signed with, if he endorses someone, I feel like he wears Nike gear. Nike is now in really firmly in Major League Baseball where they make you know the uniforms and whatnot now. But yeah, I mean, 100%. If this was 1998, there would be some sort of, like rush hour spoof Nike commercial with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Like that should be premiering during the all-star game in which he's pitching and hitting homers. And uh, there should be, he should be in every commercial. He should be promoted like a Manning brother. There's another commercial it, idea. It, it, it the mar- How is he it, not in a commercial market. with Peyton Manning? <laughs> Everyone else well, is. Sure. I mean, he's producing like everything that's out there for sports television these days. But Omaha Productions. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think he's going to be an angel next year. You know, like, they're that's having crazy. a, for them, good season. They're still outside of the wild card hunt. <laughs> like, if the season ended today, they're not in the playoffs. So if they miss the playoffs again, see ya. Where does he go? I mean, there shouldn't be a team in baseball that it doesn't make an offer. Literally everyone should. Yeah. In if theory, they the, said what team. he didn't want to be on the East coast. At least that when he came over, that was the, that was the rumor West coast. Cause it's closer. I think his wife or girlfriend is like a big star in Japan. So he wanted to be on the West coast for shorter flights and things of that nature. We'll see. So pretty much he'd be a Dodger. 
I mean, if you're his management, you're looking at this going, okay, so San Francisco, Dodger, but if you, eh, maybe, maybe. I mean, they, they're always surprising. I mean, they they were people thought Aaron Judge was about to be a giant last year, so they could certainly get into it. But goodness, if he's eliminating the entire Eastern Seaboard with the dollars that the Mets, probably the Yankees, and absolutely should be the Boston Red Sox would put up for him. And if they signed him for $650 million, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. Go do it. Go yeah, do it. It doesn't seem like a high and bloom type of move. It, God, it doesn't. It, it really, really does. Let's think about this. Let's allow ourselves to dream. Take this Boston Red Sox team, which is what, still 40 and 40? Are we 40 and 41? Uh, it's been a rough week lost. after we swept the Yankees. You're back out? Are you I'm back, back out this week? Yeah, you should be back out. I, I mean, we just I got back out. like demolished by I think the Rockies yesterday, like ten to one. No, it was tomorrow. I mean, it was Sandy Alcantara who's the reigning NL Cy Young. But uh, yeah, lost two out of three after winning the first game against the White, White Sox. Sox. The White Sox are are not a good baseball team, but we just refuse to score runs at Comiskey. Apparently, um, take this Red Sox team forty and forty one. And put Otani on it next year. I mean, that's worth getting excited about. Where does it put them? I mean, next year, if you don't make any other moves around it, which I have a hard time believing they wouldn't make, you know, other other moves. There'd probably be some losses in there. Hopefully, there's some contracts that are coming up. But you know, I'm sure we'll have a healthy Chris Sale next year. <laughs> oh, why wouldn't we? Uh, who only has one year left on his deal, unless they pick up that club option for 2025. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you so if you had a rotation with Otani at the top, Brian Bayo, Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, Chris Sale, or are James you, Paxson. Are you still in on Houck as a starter? I feel like he just more naturally should be a bullpen. So do I, but at the same time, if I were to pick between him and Whitlock, I'm taking Hauk for the rotation, and I, I so desperately want Whitlock to move back to. Now, I know he just had a few good starts in a row, and then I watched him last night against the Marlins. I mean, they were just teeing off on some of his off-speed stuff. So I've always said your bullpen could get so good so quickly if you move Whitlock back out there and he can go two winnings and just unhittable setting up for Kenley Jensen. How I've kind of come around on because I thought the same. I'm like, okay, he's a power righty with a sweeper and tons of movement, and you know he's got the right attitude for it. like. There's your seventh, eighth inning guy. He's shown he can start a little bit. I mean, he can develop into a starter. Would like to have a dependable lefty out there. Maybe that's where Chris Sale comes in. You know, Paxton has at times been pretty solid, but again, it, like, is that one you want to hang your hat on for you know the next couple of years? I I, I just. I'm not sure on it, but if so, so the top of your rotation becomes Bayo and Otani. You could do a hell of a lot worse for a one, two punch. Yeah. And then you put Otani in the middle of the lineup with Devers. You know, Turner's been good, but he's, you know, starting to show some age looking at the future. Cause you're going to be locking him up for, I'm guessing probably a decade. You know, do you want to build around Otani Devers, you know, Marcella Meyer, like, Hmm. Okay, I mean you. Yeah. You might get something there. There's I mean, worse. I, I, I'd There's be, worse. <laughs> I haven't bought a jersey or a t-shirt in in many a year, but uh, I would probably have an Otani shirt pretty quickly. I have a tendency I when I parade. when I get a new Red Sox shirt, they don't last. <laughs> <laughs> they go out. They go out of style fairly quick. Uh, yeah, who, I'll who take your. For, for for the t-shirts, uh, I look at my drawer. I have two that I think they left very quickly after I bought the shirts. What were, what have been your worst either jersey or Red Sox t-shirt jersey purchase over the years? Oh, I can't even think of his name. It's, it's that good. It's right there, and yeah, I can't think of it. Yeah, that one. Hmm. All right, I'll give you. I a feel like I had a Middlebrooks jersey. Sure. Ooh, that's a that's a toughie. I had a uh, Justin Masterson was was big on the Justin Masterson. 
Uh, and then I believe, and this one I kind of forgot. I think it was a gift and yeah, I ended up kind of finding the bottom of the drawer real quickly is I have a Victor Martinez, which every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I have a Pedro shirt. And I'm like, oh, wait, like this is Martinez 41. Oh, <laughs> apparently I was real into that like 09-2010 Red Sox team. I feel like Victor was good, if I recall. He was. No, he, he was very good. It's just it's such an odd sort of era because it's before the Beards and the 2013 team. He's really only that, there like, for what, like a season, of, season and a half tops. So he, so he was a deadline move. I remember it was the trade deadline. They traded Justin Masterson for Victor Martinez, and I was very upset because I was a staunch Masterson fan. Um, who I thought it was just going to be an absolute stud. The the one that I don't think I ever saw the shirt, but I definitely would have bought it if I found it was Craig Hansen. Thought Craig Hansen was going to be, even though we had Papelbond and Hansen was definitely a closer type. If I'd ever seen a, a Craig Hansen 56, I certainly would have bought it. But I think uh, lucky for me, I'd never found one. It never, we never made it that far. I know I have an Ellsbury shirt somewhere. I think I, I think I have a Damon like World Series T-shirt, and it just got thrown to the back of the closet when he signed with the Yankees. I, I, it's possible I've never worn that one. Hmm. God, it's gonna bug me one now that, that I can't think of. <laughs> I want to say that, he was a Pittsburgh Pirate. And like a Jason Bay, Jason, Jason Bay. Bay. I had a Jason Bay jersey shirt. That's a good one. That's a good one. But again, it's from like that kind of no man's land of like he came over the Manny trade no eight. It was there. I mean, he was an all star, like, but was probably gone by like eleven ten, you know, somewhere in there. Uh, I, for some reason, I bought a lot of pitchers, so I had the jersey shirts of. I bought Buckholtz. I think you were with me. We went to the Red Sox Yankee game there. Like the month he threw the no hitter. I saw it at the Fenway store. I was like, gotta have Clay Buckholtz. I think that was Lester. when I got my Ellsbury. That's that it. might be. Yeah, because they both just come up. So we're like, we're, we're getting the young guys. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Clay won two. They both won two rings. I feel like everybody had some form of Papelbon something. Yeah, I wore I I'm proud to say I bought the Papelbon. I, I vividly remember this. I bought the Papelbon. Uh, I think I got it for my birthday, which is in December in 2005. So I got it like when he was still might be a starter, might be a reliever. We really don't know. Just really liked the kid and bought it before then. So I, I had it before he was the closer. So I'm happy to say I was kind of, you know, in, a, in on the ground floor of Papelbon. If you had to give a presentation to like elementary school kids, just about life, you know, try to inspire them. Would you pick to speak Kendrick Perkins or Jonathan Papelbon? What kind of school? Elementary <laughs> like school. Just just drawn at random? Like are we going to like yeah. your old elementary school in Vermont? Any any elementary school at random. It's like, hey, oh. we'd love an athlete to come in and inspire the kids. <laughs> um I, you know what i think i'm going perkins because i i have a feeling like like he's gonna tell it to them straight they they might cry because perk has a way of speaking that always makes it seem like he's he's kind of giving you a lecture or a lesson uh papelbon who i enjoy and i you know i've seen him on podcasts and stuff he will say absolutely anything. Like he's a guy that, you know, when they have him on Nesson, I'm like, they've got to be sitting there. The producer's got to be on the edge of his seat, just going like, okay, Pap, like, don't, don't bring up the time you were in Toronto and ended up at a strip club and, you know, like, you know, telling some story that like, just, you can't do it. So that would be why I would, I would go with Perk over Papelbon. Cause I think there's a good chance Pap is going to like, just tell stories. He thinks are totally normal, but you can't tell that to eight-year-olds. I feel like if you started to get Gronk and Papelbon in the same room at a party, like a storm would start in the room because these forces aren't supposed to collide. That's a good... I mean, when you think of it, like Pap was sort of the blueprint for Gronk, right? 
He walked like, so Gronk could run. He that's a great way, a great way to put it. Because Pap really was. I mean, like show people now. I mean, I, I saw the picture not long ago. It was framed up and autographed and whatnot. And it was Jonathan Papelbon wearing like sliding shorts and an ALCS t-shirt. And he's dumping a Bud Light on the commissioner's trophy in the middle of Fenway Park's infield. Smoking like, a cigar. So, yeah, he's got With cigars, ski goggles, he's got goggles on. He'd been doing the river dance for some reason. You know, like they had to, literally someone just went out and like gave him the hook and was like, all right, buddy, that's that's enough. Just come 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 on in. He should have been on, like, so he comes up in 05. He made his big league debut. So he misses the 04 team, which he would have fit in really well in the 04 team. And then he misses the 2013 team because he left after the collapse in 2011. Like, he would have fit so well on either one of those teams with just his personality. Like, if he was, even if he wasn't so the closer in 13, which he could have been, he was still a wildly effective closer in the NL. Like, if he was the closer and, you know, Uihara was the setup man in 13, he would have fit right in with that team. Maybe we would have seen Pap with a beard. Can you imagine, though, if he was if he was up in, like, 04, just, like, the disdain Schilling would have had for him? <laughs> yeah, that's probably Oh, true. this freaking kid. Well, remember, and maybe this is part of it too. Remember 2004, one of the great stats that go along with that team is that the five starting pitchers, which you can name very easily, Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Derek Lowe, Tim Wakefield, and Bronson Arroyo, none of them missed a start all season. Like, When does that ever happen that your five starters pitch all 162 games? And, And they didn't blow out their arms. I mean, they ended up winning the World Series, but... So maybe he just didn't get a chance. Yeah. All right. Some good baseball talk for today. Fun fact, by the way, just randomly that I found out today or yesterday, just based on like a short video on YouTube that popped up. Cecil, Big Daddy Fielder, and Prince Fielder both finished their careers with 319 home runs, the exact same. I did know that it, it's one of the great, I don't know if they're talking yet. I really, for one of these things, every time that comes up or you know, they show the footage of him, uh, of Prince wearing like Zubaz pants and hitting home runs at Tiger stadium. And he's like eight, but uh, yeah, those two are like a falling out. I kind of hope they patch things up. I don't know if they have, but I, I hope there's hope for the fielders. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Happy endings. All right, let's move on to our summer blockbusters segment where Sterling watches classic movies that he has never seen before. And I set him up for this stretch with one of my favorites as a kid. And as I got older, I realized, like, oh, this this movie didn't do well, and I can watch it now and back. Okay, I could see perhaps. I get it. The pieces, but still, just, I still enjoy it. Demolition Man, from, I believe, 1993, Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock. Say no more. Yeah, I'm in. I'm sold at that point. Sold, and honestly, I was sold by Wesley Snipes' blonde hair. The blonde hair with the crazy angular haircut, like it just screamed like cool villain, charismatic bad guy. Yep. And I'm just going to go on a limb and say they took that from Dennis Rodman. And I mean, this actually probably would have been, I mean, they would have probably filmed this before he was doing the dyed hair. I don't know. When was the, he in San Antonio? Cause that's when he went blonde. He, he went to San Antonio around 93. Hmm. So this movie would have had to like shot it in probably 91, 92. So perhaps Rodman took it from Snipes. I think he took it from Snipes. I do. Because I don't even think in the beginning when he was in San Antonio that he was doing the dyed hair. So, yeah, I'm going to go Snipes did it first. All right. That, that, that's what I'm going to wager. 
So this was this was supposed to be the breakout role for Sandra Bullock. She had had a couple small parts, Love Potion Number Nine, The Vanishing, or she was good, but small parts. This was, boom, going to be a star. It doesn't quite happen because the movie doesn't do that well. And one year later, she breaks out with speed. So this came out before speed. One year before speed. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to think of that as I was watching it because she seemed younger, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this is kind of a, in a way, a bigger part. I mean, she was a huge part of speed, but with this one, I felt like she had more dialogue, more lines. Like she was kind of the focus of the whole. Yeah you know, police department or, or what, what have you. But um, also wrote down, they said the name of the movie, Demolition Man, six minutes into the movie. Like they always say that if they say the name of the movie in the movie, th- this one waited like no time. Like it was literally Stallone was walking away from like the first explosion and like, yeah, you know, Spartan, we know you're a demolition man. I'm like, well, there it is. Six minutes in clock it. They said it again. Right before they were getting ready to unfreeze him. I'm like, oh, how did was Simon Phoenix caught back in the 20s or the 20th century? Like, one man. One called him the, the demolition. I want to say something with the, with the names, too, just like the names that they actually like give the characters. I've started to notice a trend. So in this movie, Sylvester Stallone is John Spartan. In Last Action Hero, Arnold is Jack Slater. In Commando, which we'll we'll touch on later, uh, Schwarzenegger was John Matrix. Love Matrix. Of course, of course uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard is John McClane. So there's a whole, like, just give him the first name John or Jack, and then give him just, like, a cool, like, Spartan. Mat- name him after an American gladiator. It doesn't matter, but just... Give them those two names together, and we'll just make it sound right. Because we'll call him by the last name, but we're going to give him that real, like, puritanical American. He's a he's a John or a Jack. John Nitro. Right. Jack Gemini. John Turbo. And the worse the name is, like, the worse the movie's going to be. And I'll even say it with this one. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to – I'm giving this one kind of a meh. And – one, I think you could easily, you could comfortably cut 25 to 30 minutes out of this movie. It's like an hour 55. If this was like a tight 95 to 100 minutes, probably would have been better. I didn't need, and this was the, the, the part of the movie that kind of drove me the craziest, was apparently, Tom, we are nine years away because the future, quote unquote, in this movie is set in 2032. And they are wusses. Like, they get a, an automatic ticket for swearing. Like, Yes, this was after the great earthquake of, like, 2010 or whatever it was. Which, like, yeah, they, they, right, they had this earthquake that, like, kills, like, a bunch of humanity. And they, which, like, the most unnecessary part is it, the movie is set in San Angeles. Because they merged during the earthquake, Los Angeles, San Mateo, and I can't remember uh, the other city, but they merged it into San Angeles. It's like, okay, you didn't need that for anything. Like, nobody wanted that. No one asked for that. But the only restaurant to survive the wars was Taco Bell. So they just call every restaurant Taco Bell. Um yeah, like the food's terrible. There's no drinking. There's no tobacco. There's no cursing. There's no contact. Nobody touches one another. Uh, sex is something you do when you put a helmet on and sit across from some sort of small, sunken, not hot tub in your living room. Um, like, I, I don't know. Just they made the future look horrible. They did nail some things like CompuChat pretty much looks like ChatGPT. Um, cars, I think they hit on the head. Like everything sort of looks like a Prius or a Tesla. Everything is definitely battery powered, but it was like a little too, they fell in love with the idea of 
we're going to make the future look very sterile and nice and and the police don't really do anything because there's no crime because everyone is afraid to commit a crime but there's no brutality and there's no physicality in the world at all which i guess you know yes makes simon phoenix look like a worse bad guy because oh my goodness it's like he's just running amok because no one can stop him and that's why we have to unfreeze john spartan but like didn't need to be continuously just hit over the head with yeah, look at what a real man Spartan is amongst these these futuristic wusses. But it also doesn't fully explain whether or not it's just San Angeles. Like, there's sure, this big yeah. earthquake. Is, like, is New England still New England? And the guys are, <laughs> yeah, we're going to fucking Fenway Park. <laughs> and they're playing baseball. But meanwhile, over in California, or formerly California, there, there's no crime, no nothing. It's true. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like, is it like a widespread? Is just all of America suddenly this, you know, squeaky clean, nothing bad? Like, it was Pleasantville. They they literally turned Pleasantville from the past to the future. And it was just, I don't know, the dialogue, the way everyone spoke, everyone yeah. was so happy, happy. And then it was, Stallone is supposed to be this, like, moody guy it's like well yeah he was frozen for 40 years and they wake him up he's like where's my wife like she died where's my daughter she died too and he's like well well, all right well like i guess i'll catch my arch enemy but there's moments and i think we talked about it maybe on a different episode like the difference between stallone and schwarzenegger there's just this little bit of charisma and charm that arnold can have to do comedy like he can do the twins in the kindergarten cop and he can do like the corny lines and it still makes you kind of chuck chuckle stallone has some steam yeah stallone has never think about it has never been able to really do comedy and even when they try to give him funny lines or any like during the scene with bullock like oh we're gonna have sex he's like what I haven't even touched you yet. And she's like, oh, right. what are you talking about? The horizontal mamba, the hunka chunka. And it's just like, mm. right. It just doesn't, it doesn't come across as right. It, it, he it's just not, doesn't anyway, have that a, charm or charisma to pull and, off and those. So I want to throw out this, the, the comparison here. So there's the line in, so this came out in 93. Also 93 was last action hero for Arnold, which, um, at that point was his biggest kind of flop at the box office. I want to point out two things. So there's a line where Stallone is riding with Sandra Bullock in the car. It's in early, I think they're going to Taco Bell and she t- says something about, Oh, well, that's going to be held at the Schwarzenegger library. And Stallone's like the, what she's like, this, the, the Schwarzenegger presidential library. And he's like, that guy's president, you know? And she's like, Oh Yeah. You know, Wasn't he an actor like, oh. in your day? Right. So there's that line. And then in Last Action Hero, there's that weird moment where they're at like the video store and they show the Terminator display, but it's Stallone as the Terminator. I want that poster. <laughs> that would be a cool one. That would. I think your kids would grow up looking at it going like, wait, what? And just have this complete misunderstanding of things. You'd have to explain it to them. You'd have to sit them down, but... Um, so I'm reading Schwarzenegger's autobiography, which is coincidentally enough, also called total recall came out in 2012. And he talked about the kind of rivalry that he and Stallone had. And in 94, they had sort of kind of patched things up a little bit. Cause they did some of the, uh, they've been working for president Bush and the presidential, uh, physical fitness council and whatnot. So he brought him in on that. So they ended up taking a flight together and doing some things, they ended up kind of like joking around and really, I guess, broke the ice. Because up until then, there, there was. It was a very real rivalry between the two because they dominated the genre of action movies when that was, you know, huge box office. And Arnold tricked Sly into doing Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> Which you can YouTube and he explains this- it. And, oh, what a great story. So so what's the what's the Cliff Notes version of that story? I'm not familiar. Arnold didn't cover that in his own book. So more or less, like, Arnold got it first. He's like, oh, this is absolute garbage or whatever. And they sent it to Sly, and Sly's like, oh, this, this is awful. 
I shouldn't be able to do, I shouldn't do this. And he had called Arnold and they were talking. It's like, oh yeah. And Arnold's like, yeah, I got this great script. Stop or my mom will shoot. I'm going to do it. And pretty much talk sly and quickly calling and accepting it. Because <laughs> he was convinced that Arnold was going to do it. And then it ended up being one of the biggest flops slash worst movies he'd ever done. Three, so bad. three golden raspberry awards. Oh, I could see that. No, that's a bad one. And it's right in that time where it's like, okay, like you look at some of the premises, like, you know, Schwarzenegger's first comedy is he does twins. Yeah. I think twins and then kindergarten cop. Yeah. So it's like, so that's kind of like his first one. So it's like right in that time where there, there is the land grab of like, okay, he's doing action, but can he do like an action comedy? And I mean, kindergarten cop is, could have gone badly so easily. You know, like, oh, yeah, he's a cop, but he's going to end up teaching kindergarten. You're like, all right, well, this is going to, I mean, like, this could be really bad. It, it never feels that way. but And once it again, it goes stuff. down to that charisma. Like, if you put Sly in that spot. like doesn't work. Yeah, it's like, it could be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Like, it doesn't work with Sly. I don't think it's a tumor. What are you talking about? Whereas Ar- Arnold just has the comedic charisma. That Sly I heard... I heard this comparison one time where people were debating who's a better actor, uh, Matt Damon or Leonardo DiCaprio. And the point that the person arguing for Matt Damon made was, I think Damon can play the parts that DiCaprio did well as good or better. I don't think that DiCaprio could necessarily play all the Damon roles as good or better than he did. Yeah, that's like, okay. I mean, that, that's at least whether or not you agree with the sentiment, right? I think if you use kind of that platform between these two, that is where Arnold pulls ahead because he can do the comedy, he can do there's like the added level of charisma. But yeah. I also think part of it is just there's a time he just picked better movies through this yep. era. Yeah, that's there true. was a time early 80s. Stallone was out ahead of him, but he also had kind of the rocky launching pad where he was getting better projects because he—I mean—he had a what seven-year head start. Rocky one came out in seventy-five. Uh, what Conan the Barbarian, eighty-two. You know, so he had kind of a launching pad to make better early eighties movies. Yeah, which kind of leads into, and we'll just kind of segue into Commando, which is—I texted you this today is. I've always regarded as my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie ever. And I did not tell you that beforehand because I didn't want to lead. I, appreciate it. I didn't want to lead the witness, but was always my favorite. And it was kind of Arnold broke out. I think with Terminator, like, Oh guys, a star, but you didn't know whether or not he could carry a movie. Cause as good as Terminator was, and even, Conan the Barbarian, there was very little dialogue. And he didn't have to really say anything. Terminator, he was kind of this pivotal part, but the story was all driven through, like, Linda Hamilton and that relationship. Then Commando comes, and it's him. And it's okay. We're giving him lines. And, you know, yes, there's tons of the corny... You know, he's holding the guy. Remember when I said I'd kill you last? That's right, Matrix, he did. I lied. And he drops he him. drops him. Then she asks, hey, what happened to what's his name? I let him go. <laughs> he does He does well with, like I, I already quoted it once in this episode where at the end, no spoilers, but you know, he stabs the bad guy with this. He just rips like a 15-foot segment of a pipe off the wall. It impales the bad guy who's about to shoot him, and steam just comes out of the pipe. He goes, you know, letting off some steam or you know some, something along those lines. And he talks about it in his book. He's like, yeah, I always felt the need to have like those, that have that kind of comical line afterwards. It does it, it, it kind of punctuates it nicely. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it, so far I would put it. I'm gonna put it third. I'm going to go T2 and True Lies in some order ahead of it. But I'll go Commando is third. I, I enjoyed it. 
because it was very it's just straightforward man like it, it's yeah. it's a roger clemens fastball right down the middle of the plate he's just bringing heat there's no like i don't like the ones that kind of lapse into sci-fi like after watching you know two hours of demolition man watching 85 minutes of just Schwarzenegger with rocket yeah. launchers and automatic Tight, weapons no and Uzis and face paint and that's that's what we needed. Just you know, straight heat. Yeah, great performance from Ray Don Chong. Yep, yep. Nope, she was great. The um, only, the like only, <laughs> the only part like hindsight. Now that I'm older, looking back, I'm like, ah, I feel like they could have had someone a little more menacing than Vernon Wells. To play Bennett, he would. Uh, part of it was just he could have done it, but not wearing a mesh tank top. Oh, what the hell was that shirt? It had like a chain or a rope, and it's cut off. He's whiter than you and I are, and zero muscle definition in his biceps. Like absolutely not. He, in fact, he was kind of like somewhat beer bellied and had like skinny arms. Like I, I, I like the idea of Dan Hedaya being the like ultimate like boss bad guy where Bennett is like the sort of physical match. But like even when they're fighting, it's kinda of like when Vin Diesel fought the Rock and was it Fast Five? I'm like, okay. The Rock is a foot taller than him. Like, yes, Vin Diesel is built like, you know, Mike Tyson in eighty six. I still don't believe that he's, you know, really taking it to Dwayne Johnson here. Like Arnold took an ass kicking from this guy who looked like, you know, the power forward on your pickup hoops team that plays once a month and like brings his own ice bags. Which is one of the secrets when you really like look back at the movies, like Arnold was not a fighter. No, you know, didn't know martial arts. He could punch you hard, but a lot of it was, you know, guns and knives Sure. You know, getting beat up in total recall by his wife, Sharon Stone. She was a beast. She could have beaten up Bennett. No question. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, what else? We had, you know, super young Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. She's great as the, the, I mean, this had to be, I don't know. If you, Prime who's, who's the, the boss? boss, early who's the yeah, boss? Yeah, pro- probably right around there. This so, was, yeah, so I think, was, 85. Commando was 85, so. Yeah. I liked, uh, was it Commander Kirby or General Kirby, uh, who talked about having a couple just great one-liners where they would say, like, you know, eh, if he's alive, we're going to have a war on our hands. Like, just these great tags where he's telling them, like, oh, yeah, forewarning. Like, this is about to get real ugly. And he just, like, knows it's it's going to. He's resigned to the fact. And also, you watch this movie. You watch Predator, which I know you have. Tell me how Bill Duke did not get a chance to star in an action movie as he was cooking this one. Just, you know, for lack of a better terms, he was the big rugged black guy in the Schwarzenegger movies for a little while. True. Was absolutely great in Predator. He had the unbelievable, like, fear face when he's shaving with the straight mm-hmm. blade and he sees it and he just starts like cutting his neck but not moving <laughs> well even the beginning of this one where you know he steals the cadillac and drives it through he's like the best part is the price and then he just like drives through the through the glass um you know the couple other crimes he commits at the beginning of the movie we're like okay these guys are clearly murders a guy yeah th- th- these are on the back of the, the dump truck here. Or on the back of the garbage truck. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> which, so I'm guessing that was a part of Matrix's platoon? That's what we're supposed to... I believe so, yeah. Okay, yeah, because it, it, it didn't really explain like why they had to take Uzis from a garbage truck and just gun this guy down to start the movie. But, uh, again, 85 minutes. We're not getting into a lot of subtleties and a lot of deep explanation here. Uh, something just to compare the two as we talk about the Schwarzenegger-Stallone like rivalry, I guess you will. Um, Demolition Man, random Jesse Ventura cameo. 
he's in like one scene or two scenes towards the very end where he's at like the round table for uh phoenix which is like wait a minute like Ventura is like team schwarzenegger i mean he's in predator he's in running man like what the hell i don't he might have had one line but just very very random and i mean this is like 93 i'm like ooh, like Ventura, not only did he leave WWE for WCW in 92, he also, apparently, he jumped to Team Stallone. Yeah, I forgot about that. Man. It's very strange. Like, I think he literally answers, like, one question, and I think he, yeah, he might shoot someone. Like, Phoenix has him shoot somebody, like, walks up, shoots someone in the head, and that's, like, literally all he does. It's all you need. It's all you need. He ain't got time to bleed. Oh, great line. One of my favorite sequences from all of those these movies is in Predator. The more or less the introductory of the crew as they're getting off the chopper. Yeah. You know, Bill Duke gets out and he's in his suit looking sharp. Ventura gets out wearing like an MTV t-shirt. Tight jeans. Just... A great introduction. Which the, they were always so overt too. They're like, okay, like literally, they're doing a you know opening credit sequence. Like this is the A team. Like they they should have their name underneath. They're like introducing Bill Duke, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jesse Ventura, and co-starring Alyssa Milano. Ah, <laughs> uh, but a couple good classic movies. From my childhood. Like I said, for what Commando just hits the nostalgia button for me. And there's always just my favorite. Hiding in the garden shed, fixing your wounds with you know sh- shotgun shells and <laughs> throwing when he, yeah, blades. When he, when he comes out there throwing the saw blades, like even I was like, whoa, okay. Like he uh Arnold had some velocity there. All right, we will uh, we'll get together. We'll pick out something good for next week. We got NBA free agency kicks off here in a couple days. See if we have something to talk about for that next week. I know we want to do a big episode on Little Giants to come up here as we get near 4th of July. Yeah, we gotta do that one soon. So we uh we got some plans to eat some time up for you. Put on the podcast, chill out, and listen to the new sports order. Check out Sterling's columns on the socials, Uncommon Media VT on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. He's still got columns coming out. Not quite as frequently as prime hey, football hey, season. I'm still, but. I'm still going on a weekly basis. I mean, they're a little all over the place. Uh, this week I wrote about, um, like I said, that golf tournament I played in. Uh, I was heckled by Roger Clemens on the first tee. So I kind of give the uh, play-by-play of you know, being heckled by a seven-time Cy Young Award winner before you've hit uh, your first shot of the day at was essentially like a PGA trumped-up golf course. So... Yeah, lot lot happening there. So uh, yeah, it, it's a silly season. Yeah, you get to write about kind of whatever. I mean, I'm not going to do 2,000 words on the Patriots extending Devontae Parker for three years because what the hell does that mean? But um, yeah, who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe three days from now, I'm <laughs> desperate and I do write 2,000 words on Devontae Parker. Why the Devontae Parker extension was better than signing Hopkins. <laughs> I don't know, or, or does it mean you know everyone's saying oh it means they won't sign Hopkins? It's like oh not so fast, my friend. This could be uh, we don't know the structure of this. This could be freeing up some more money. Could be a move. Maybe we're getting Dalvin Cook too. Bring them all in. Time will tell, and we will uh, we'll be here to chat about it. For Sterling Pingree, I am Tom Corbett. You have been listening to the New Sports Order, a production of Uncommon Media.